And thanks be to God. All right. Um, Friends, once again, we are returning this morning to the book of Exodus. Uh, The story in Exodus is foundational for how we see God because it shows us the movement of God freeing us to worship and serve the Lord alone. Something that doesn't just happen in the Hebrew Bible, but happens in our lives as well, where God frees us from sin and death in the same way that God liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. We're in a movement in uh, the story of Exodus right now that we're calling Into the Wilderness, where the children of Israel go into the wilderness from Egypt on their way to Mount Sinai. And we see over and over again the faithfulness of God despite their lack of faith in God. Now, our text this morning uh, comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. At least that's what the plan was when we were putting this together. Um, I'll actually be reading through verse 30 because the rest of that narrative is important for what we're doing this morning. You can follow along if you'd like by turning to pages 62 and 63 of the Old Testament in your Red Pew Bibles. This is Exodus 16, 1 through 30. Listen now for God's word to you. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said again to the Israelites, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness and the cloud, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it, 
Those who gathered much had nothing more. Those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left parts of it until morning and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them. It didn't become foul. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, on the seventh day, some people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Don't leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to dig into this long passage together, would you pray with me? We ask, O Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to hear your word, to be transformed by it this day. Make my words into your words, testifying to the good news of your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I grew up in the church, and as I grew up in the church, I internalized a belief that if I had a place I really didn't want to go, that was going to be the place God would send me. I'm not quite sure how this belief like wormed its way into my heart, my mind, my soul, but I remember in high school having a lot of anxiety around thinking that God was going to send me to be a missionary. I didn't want to have to learn a foreign language and be fluent in it. I didn't want to experience the culture shock of moving somewhere that didn't have like creature comforts like air conditioning. I like my nice mattress. And because I didn't want this, I thought that God might ask me to embark on this as a vocation. This false assumption that God's going to ask us to do what we least want to do, I think it was so pervasive for me because it has a kernel of truth to it. God does lead us into situations of discomfort at times, just in the same way that a teacher helps a student to grow beyond their comfort zone, helps them to learn something they might not be able to do on their own. God leads us into situations of discomfort like a doctor asking us to change our diet. We're going to need to do sometimes things that aren't natural or comfortable to us so that we can grow. But God isn't a sadist. God doesn't look for ways to inflict pain on us because that's somehow what we need. In fact, the reality is completely the opposite. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
God doesn't bring the Israelites into the wilderness to kill them or make them suffer, regardless of what they might think in the moment. Instead, God brings the Israelites into the wilderness to help form them into a people and a nation, instead of thinking of themselves as slaves in Egypt. Part of this formation is learning to trust the God who liberated them, to provide both for their bodies and for their souls. Friends, it can be hard, as some of you have found out, to care for our bodies. It can be uncomfortable to care for our bodies. I remember learning once that treadmills were invented for prisoners, and it was not a surprise, right? Because treadmills are not fun. And yet regular walking, regular exercise, it's good for our bodies. But caring for our bodies by avoiding certain foods, by like having to floss. Who invented flossing? I love you dentists, but come on. Uh, It can be hard to care for our bodies. Bodies are complicated. They need us to tend to them. And so it's not surprising that the presenting complaint from the Israelites to Moses is a complaint about how their bodies were feeling, were hungry. Their bodies are uncomfortable because of a lack of food. They've been in the wilderness. Uh, This is the 15th day of the second month is what our text says. So they've been in the wilderness for like 45 days or thereabouts. And so it's likely that they ran out of all like the beef jerky and the trail mix that they probably packed. And it's not surprising that they're getting a little bit hangry, right? Hungry and angry. Their hunger has gotten to the point where they're not happy. Now in the Moody house, there's usually one of us that as dinner time approaches, experiences and vocalizes their hangriness. And it's not always a child, if we're being honest. Now I know though, as a parent, when it is a child, that I need to be careful about the ways that I'm training my children. I need to be careful about, you know, am I teaching them that they get what they want when they start pitching a fit? I I need to be careful in training them that screaming and crying is the best way to get what they ask for. So it's striking to me that the Israelites complain, and in response, God gives as much or even more than they ask. It's like God's heart is pulled by the suffering of God's people. So much so that God is willing to offer them more than they ask for or even could imagine. And God does this, by the way, even though they don't use their kind words, right? God is kind to the Israelites, showing them that God intends to provide for them no matter what. God is showing them that the wilderness, despite its harshness, is a place of safety because they're with their God. This points to a God who's not just concerned about caring for their bodies and for their hunger, but also concerned about caring for their souls. Now, to be very clear, I don't think it's actually possible to care for bodies without also caring for souls or to care for souls without caring for bodies. True care for a person is going to be holistic. Care for a person's soul that neglects their body isn't true care. And care for a person's body that neglects their soul also isn't true care. Spiritual care and physical care are intimately intertwined. 
And if we focus on one to the exclusion of the other, we're going to fail at both. God brings food to the Israelites, manna and quail, but God also sees beyond the words of their complaint. Their complaint is couched in language about food. He sees beyond that to the fear and the anxiety that the complaint masks. And it's not a very, like, good mask. You can probably see the fear and anxiety in the words of the Israelites, too. Not only did they accuse Moses of bringing them out of the wilderness to kill them with hunger, which you never say that if you're, like, rationally thinking, right? But they also confess their longing to return to the comforts of Egypt, They say that they sat by the flesh pots and ate their fill of bread. Huh. That's what Egypt was like, was it? It's a really strange way to pronounce held in bondage as slaves to a king who slaughters children. I think, though, that when we find ourselves in difficult situations, many of us struggle to remove our nostalgia glasses Have you experienced this? Where you find yourself in a difficult situation and always, regardless of the complexities of the past, the past was better than now. We look back on what was not as objective observers, but as people who long for meaning, for comfort, people who long for the provision of bodies and souls. And so when we look back on what was, we long for it. Because even if what was wasn't great, at least it's known. Perhaps we look back on a past relationship and think of that as the one that got away because we remember only the good times and not the toxic effects this person had on us. Or maybe we think back on the glory days of middle school or high school when we were great and in shape and athletic without remembering the awkwardness of adolescence. Nostalgia can tint our recollections And the present situation of the Israelites feels dire enough, I think, that they can look back even on their time in Egypt with longing because they're looking back on it with nostalgia glasses, remembering only selectively what was. So in feeding the Israelites, God isn't simply feeding them with quail and manna. God is concretely showing them there are benefits to leaving behind what was to not being trapped by nostalgia. Leaving Egypt behind is good. While a life in slavery may have been simple and straightforward, you do what you're asked to do, and if you don't, you get punished, a life of freedom is much more worthwhile. Even though such an existence means choices, it means having to have responsibility, it means having to decide between two equally good things, It's good to to live in freedom, to be freed to worship and serve God alone because that's what responsible people are able to do. It's the same reason that it's good for young adults to practice adulting. It's difficult to learn, let's be clear, but it's worthwhile because that's how life is like. Just as it's going to be difficult for the Israelites to let Pharaoh go, in other words, but they need to do it so that they can worship and serve God. So part of the homework that God assigns the children of Israel as they learn how to let Pharaoh go is the practice of Sabbath. When we find ourselves hangry 
or when we find ourselves otherwise at odds with God's desire to see us flourish, one of the long-term answers is regular Sabbath-keeping. It teaches us to trust that God is going to provide for our bodies and for our souls. In fact, even God observes the Sabbath. Maybe you notice that in this passage, that on the seventh day of the week, God's not getting up and providing manna. And if God observes Sabbath, those who follow God can do the same. I I think it's interesting, at least for me, that when I read this text, I'm struck not by the Sabbath commandment, but I'm struck much more by the manna and by the quail. Did you know that this is the first occurrence in all of scripture of the word Sabbath? This is the first time it shows up and is in this passage, but the word Sabbath feels so ordinary when contrasted with manna, which literally means what is it? And so I'm struck more by the manna than by the Sabbath. And Sabbath keeping is a little less flashy than than the provision of manna and quail because it doesn't fill my belly like a good meal does. You don't need to wonder at, well, what was the Sabbath? There are people who spend their lives pursuing what was this manna and trying to come up with explanations for how God could have provided it. But just as the manna and quail were God's way of providing for the Israelites' bodies, the Sabbath was God's way for providing for their souls. It isn't the manna and the quail, in other words, that are going to help the children of Israel let Pharaoh go. It's the Sabbath. In this way, even though it's maybe less flashy than the manna and the quail, Sabbath keeping is much more subversive in its nature. It helps to undo the lies that nostalgia glasses tell us. Now, Sabbath keeping is difficult, but Sabbath keeping is an alternative way of living that God demands for the people who are freed to worship and serve the Lord. The teacher in Ecclesiastes tells us the same thing for everything there is a season. And for us, Sabbath gives a rhythm of work and rest. Now, there are many ways to Sabbath. There's the traditional day of rest, of course, but it doesn't need to be understood just as that. Maybe you need a Sabbath from the 24-hour news cycle, God help us. If you find yourself reacting in outrage or dismay every time you read or watch the news, maybe that's the Sabbath that God is asking of you to take. Or maybe you just need a Sabbath from these doggone screens that we hold in front of our faces all the time. If you find yourself only being able to interact with people with a phone in your hand, that may be the Sabbath that God is asking you to take, where you can experience the gifts of God in the person-to-person connection you can make with the people who are right in front of you. Whatever strikes you as something that's going to nourish your soul, something that would nourish your body, if it honors God, This might be the Sabbath that God is inviting you into because God doesn't just care about the food that you eat, although God does care about that. God cares about your souls. And one of the ways God does this is by offering Sabbath. Regular Sabbath keeping, friends, reminds us that we depend on God's provision and not our own. When the children of Israel rested, even though God did not provide them manna that day, They still feasted on the manna. God made a way for the manna to be preserved, even though God did not provide it that day. Rest doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the provision of God. In fact, it's just the opposite. 
Rest invites us to look to God's provision to fill our bodies, to fill our souls. Now, there are many things that I wish I could tell past Joel, that I wish I could let him know. And one of them is that God doesn't want to send you somewhere that's going to cause you to shake your fist at heaven on a regular basis. God wants to care for you, body and soul. And part of this care involves finding ways to help you flourish. Now, that doesn't mean that our lives are going to be free from suffering, but it does mean that we can trust God to provide for us. I think this is the reason that Jesus didn't just teach and heal the 5,000 men plus women and children who were there to hear from him. He also fed them. Jesus is interested in every part of us, not just our souls. He provides for us in every capacity. And my prayer and my hope for us this day is that we might know the lengths to which God is willing to go to help us rest. That we might depend on the provision of the Lord for our bodies and our souls. And that we may never tire of the ways that God meets us in the wilderness with everything that we need and even some of the things that we want. May it be so for us now and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.